Have you ever had one of those days? One of those days where everything seems to go wrong, where Murphy's Law is working a double shift. I suspect we've all had one of those days at one time or another, and some of us, I'm sure, have gone through weeks, months, maybe even years where, where life is painful, difficult, and even depressing. And if you haven't experienced that yourself, you probably know someone who has fallen on hard times and has become very discouraged. In the book of Ruth, we might miss the point if we fail to see how terribly discouraging life has been for Naomi and also for Ruth. So let's briefly review. The, the book begins with a famine and three funerals. Now, the famine is only mentioned once and only in the first verse, but a famine doesn't happen suddenly or pass quickly. It probably began with a drought lasting a year or more. A drought led to a crop failure, and so people had to spend their savings buying grain from a foreign land, usually at inflated prices. As the drought and crop failure lasts, people were forced to kill and eat their sheep and their goats, and finally they're forced to sell their land. All that, and perhaps more, has happened to Naomi and Elimelech as the story begins in Ruth 1.1. And so they leave their home in Bethlehem to sojourn among the enemy, among the godless pagans, among the Moabites. And there is great irony here, because the name Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means house of bread. Beth is Hebrew for house, and Lechem is bread. Why do you suppose someone named this little village House of Bread? Well, because it was in a good area for growing barley and wheat and other grains. It was a place of ample bread. But as the story begins, Naomi and Elimelech are forced to leave House of Bread to sojourn in some of the most desolate countryside known to mankind, the land of Moab. And then the situation gets worse because the story moves from famine to funerals. As Elimelech dies in Moab and Naomi is left as a widow with two sons to raise. Time passes and her sons marry foreign women. That is never a Jewish mother's wish for her son. The Moabites were the enemies of Israel who had cruelly repressed Israel in the times of the judges during the reign of King Eglon the Fat. You can read about King Eglon the Fat in Judges chapter 3. He was a Moabite. Then over the next ten years, Naomi's daughters-in-law are childless. And finally the two sons die. And so by the end of the first five verses of this book, Naomi has experienced a famine, a forced relocation, the death of her husband, the death of her two sons, and she has two barren daughters-in-law. No wonder Naomi says in verse 20, no longer call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because God himself has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty, she says, has brought this calamity upon me. Her life has been very bitter. And she blames God. 
And so the book begins with the worst of times, but it ends with the best times. This morning, in Ruth chapter 4, we will see how God reverses and redeems this terrible plight of Naomi and Ruth. In the past few weeks, we've seen hints of this coming in chapters 2 and 3. We've seen hints that God is present, working quietly behind the scenes to save and to bless his children. We have seen hints of that truth which Joseph spoke in Genesis 50-20 when he said to his brothers, "Is for you. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. We have seen hints of, of what is written in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We have seen hints of the dawn coming. But this morning in Ruth chapter 4, we see the sun. And so the big idea for us this morning is this. God himself is the ultimate redeemer of every hopeless person and hopeless situation. God himself is the ultimate redeemer of every hopeless person and hopeless situation. Luke chapter 4 describes two redeemers. As the chapter begins with Boaz redeeming Ruth, and then the chapter ends with the birth of a baby named Obed, who will be called, we'll see, Naomi's redeemer. But Ruth's redeemer ultimately is not Boaz. It's God himself. Naomi's redeemer ultimately is not Obed. It's God himself. And for us today, in the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself is the ultimate redeemer of every life, every hopeless situation. God mercifully redeems Ruth and Naomi from a hopeless situation and he continually carries out his plan of redemption for the whole world through the child that is born in Bethlehem. We will see this morning. So this book, is, this chapter, has two redeemers and two scenes of redemption. I'll call these two scenes a sandal at the city gate, verses 1 to 12, and then a redeemer born in Bethlehem, Verses 13 to 21. That's our outline this morning. A sandal at the city gate, verses 1 to 12, and a redeemer born in Bethlehem, verses 13 to 21. But before we read the story, let me give you just a little bit of background from the Old Testament law and culture. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, it describes the laws of the kinsman redeemer. If a family fell upon hard times and was forced to sell their land, the nearest relatives had the right to buy that land back in order to keep it in the family. That's Leviticus 25.25. In particularly dire situations, a man might have to sell himself into servitude. And again, his nearest relatives had the right to buy him out of servitude and set him free. Leviticus 25.41. Those are the laws of the kinsman redeemer. And it always began with the closest living relative. But if the closest living relative refused to be the redeemer, then it passed to the next nearest relative, and so on. That's the law of the kinsman redeemer from Leviticus 24. Then the Old Testament also describes a very similar law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, 
called the law of Levirate marriage works like this. If a man died before having any children, a married man died before having any children, his oldest living brother should marry his widow to raise up children in his name to be his heirs. If the oldest brother refused, it passed to the next brother, and so on. That particular law comes up in the New Testament where the Sadducees challenged Jesus. They, they made up a story about a woman who successively married seven brothers, one after the other, because each one died before they could have any children. And then the Sadducees asked Jesus, in the resurrection, therefore, whose husband will she be? Because she was married to all seven of them. They thought the story disproved the resurrection. Jesus said to them, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. But that story, that concept of a Levirate marriage is throughout the Bible. Now that, that sort of law seems very strange to us, but it was actually rather common in ancient times, not just in Israel, but throughout the ancient Near East. This idea of Levirate marriage was part of their social welfare system to protect widows. So these two laws, the kinsman redeemer, the Levirate marriage, are part of the background to Ruth chapter 4. Now let's hear the story. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, the scene that I'll call a sandal at the city gate. Ruth 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. He turned aside, sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who's come back from the land of Moab, has had to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabites, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Malon, to be my wife, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers, or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who are in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, 
May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, with an offspring which the Lord shall give you to this young woman. We have perhaps at one time or another all heard news stories about a scandal at the city hall, but this is a story about a sandal at the city gate. Today, if you buy or sell land, you would have the transaction recorded at the courthouse or at the city hall. In those days, all the important business was done in the city gate. Everyone had to pass through the city gate, and so the gates were where the the elders of the city, the city council, met and heard the business of the city. They were the witnesses to the land transactions, to the marriages, so that there could be no dispute about who owned what, or who married whom. By the way, this, this idea about doing business in the city gate helps us understand the words of Jesus when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Have you ever wondered, what is this gates of Hades? Well, it's exactly this. All the authorities and rulers and councils of Hades itself cannot stand against the church of Jesus Christ. Let's get in. The story begins, verse 1, with the city gate, with a city council of ten elders. Now, as we heard last Sunday, as Joshua preached, Boaz is a near relative of Ruth. He is a Naomi. He is committed to Ruth to be her kinsman redeemer, her protector, and to marry her. In Ruth 3.9, we saw Ruth say to Boaz late at night on the threshing floor, I'm Ruth, your maid. Spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. The word is literally, you are a kinsman redeemer. And in that culture, saying spread your covering over me was a proposal to marry. Ruth was saying to Boaz, would you please marry me? Would you be my kinsman redeemer? And Boaz responds to her, chapter 3, verse 11, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Not as true that I am a redeemer. However, there is a redeemer closer than I. Oh, no. We have a setback in the story. See, at this point in the story, we are rooting for Boaz. The writer has laid it out so that we should be. We've seen his protection in chapter 2 as he watches out for this young lady who's gleaning in his fields. We've seen his provision as he sends her home with a great load of barley. We've seen his promises. We have seen a developing love story between Ruth and Boaz. But now this dark shadow appears. There's another kinsman redeemer, one closer than Boaz. We don't want Ruth to marry this other kinsman redeemer, this unknown man. We want Ruth to marry Boaz. He's the hero of the story. Chapter 4, verse 3. Boaz acts with great honesty and integrity. He doesn't try to con this closer relative. He doesn't wheel and deal. He doesn't say to himself, well, Perhaps if I don't say anything, I can slip this deal through before anyone notices. No. Boaz goes directly to the nearest relative and says to him, Naomi has a piece of land to sell. If you want to buy it, it's yours. You're the nearest relative. But if you won't buy it, I'll buy it. 
The man sees this as an opportunity to expand his wealth, expand his holdings, and he says, great, I'll buy it. You know, sometimes acting with integrity, with righteousness, with truth, can create a setback in our story. That's okay. Because it isn't up to you or me to make everything work out for the best. Making everything work out for the best is God's job. And you and I are completely, totally unqualified for that job. Boaz trusts God to work it out. Great honesty, great integrity. And so, verse 5, Boaz reminds this nearer relative of what the man should have known all along, the rest of his responsibilities. If he is to be the kinsman redeemer for the land, he must also be the kinsman redeemer and marry Ruth and raise up children in the name of her deceased husband, Malon, who will be the inheritors of the land. Ultimately, this land will belong to those children. Upon being reminded of this, the man quickly changes his mind. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself because I jeopardize my own inheritance. He realizes that, that buying this land is not going to work out for his profit, his best. And so he says, no, you can redeem it. Now, today, when we buy or sell land, we do something rather strange. We scribble our initials. We scribble our usually unreadable signature on dozens and dozens of pages of documents. They had a much more efficient system in those days. In the presence of the elders and the presence of, of ten witnesses, one party took off his sandal and handed it to the other party. And that was the manner of saying, I agree to this transaction. Just as today your signature stands for you and your legally binding commitment, in those days your sandal stood for you because wherever your sandal goes, there you are. And so they exchange a sandal to seal the deal. And Boaz redeems the land. He buys the land. But more importantly on that day, he took Ruth to be his wife. And the witnesses, also witnessing the marriage, respond with a blessing. Verse 11. All the people who are in the court, that is the gate, and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob, both of whom who built the, the house of Israel. May you achieve wealth in Ephrathah, that's the region, and become famous in Bethlehem, that's the village. And you know what? You become famous in the whole world. We're reading about him this morning. They add, moreover, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. That's the tribe. Through the offspring which the Lord will give you to this young woman. And so, so Boaz redeems Ruth out of poverty, out of hopelessness, out of the childless disgrace of being a refugee and a widow, childless widow. He gives her a home and a hope and a future. Now, just a couple of thoughts by way of practical application at this point. Like Boaz, as followers of Jesus Christ, let us also live with integrity and honesty. Even when he's doing a good thing, marrying Ruth, being the kinsman redeemer, he doesn't try to cut any ethical corners. He doesn't try to slip one past the nearest relative. 
And so when it comes to our work, or our schooling, or our buying and selling, or our relationship with our neighbors, let us also be people of complete honesty and integrity. There's another application just below the surface here. You might have noticed the emphasis in these verses. Every time it names Ruth, it gives her a very specific title in this passage. She is Ruth the Moabitess, verse 5. And again in verse 10, Ruth the Moabitess. The author is being very intentional to remind us that she is a Moabitess, and in that time, in that culture, that was not a compliment. The story of Ruth hints at the New Testament truth that God has torn down the wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because Ruth the Moabitess, the Gentile, the outsider, the refugee, is about to come become the great-grandmother of King David. And in Matthew 1.5 in the New Testament, Ruth is included in the genealogy of Jesus. It is as Colossians 3.11 later says, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And so in Jesus, God has torn down the walls of racism, of us versus them, of Jew and Gentile, of Israelite and Moabite. Let us not build walls where God has torn them down. Our fellowship, our love, our care, our benevolence offering, our, our food on Sunday night is wide open to people of every race and tongue and tribe and nation because that's what God has designed the kingdom of God to be. And it's hinted at, beginning here in Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is foreshadowing that truth. Let us be people of great honesty and integrity like Boaz. Let us not build walls for God is coming down. Now, returning to the story, the second scene, which follows rather naturally after the first, is that a baby is born in Bethlehem. A redeemer is born in Bethlehem. Follow along as I read beginning at verse 13. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For you, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse did you notice in verse 13 that it says the Lord enabled her to conceive 
She had been childless for ten years with her first husband. But just as God does several times in those stories of Genesis, at the right time, in his sovereignty, God gives her a child. And so again, in the story, we are reminded that God is completely in control. And that there are no accidents. God is sovereign in every detail. Now, Boaz is the redeemer of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, as we saw in verses 1 to 12. But this baby is called the redeemer of Naomi. Notice what the women say to Naomi, verse 14. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. May his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life, a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. See, all of that, a restorer of life, a sustainer in your old age, a redeemer, it is all speaking about this baby, Obed. In fact, verses 16 and 17, Obed is considered Naomi's own child. Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Yes, technically, Ruth gave birth to this child, but he is reckoned as Naomi's child. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so, just as here a redeemer is born in Bethlehem in unlikely circumstances, his birth, points us to a much greater redeemer, born in Bethlehem, born a thousand years after these events, born in unlikely circumstances, and that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Obed is the redeemer of Naomi. He's given her life new meaning, new hope, new joy. Jesus is the redeemer for all God's children as he's rescued us from sin and death, from hopelessness, meaningless, empty life, you know, without Jesus, life is ultimately meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So says Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Do you know Jesus as your kinsman redeemer? Do you want to know him? If so, talk to me after the service. Or talk to one of the other leaders in this church. We would love to tell you how Jesus can be your redeemer. He can give you new hope. New life, new joy, new purpose, new destiny, new eternity. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, new things. Obed's name literally means servant. It is exactly the Hebrew word servant. So again, he points to Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Obed will be the grandfather of a great, great king. Jesus will be the king of all. And then the chapter ends with a genealogy, which sounds exactly like the genealogies in the book of Genesis. It begins with well-known words. Now these are the generations of, and it says, Perez. Just as that, that phrase so often traces the royal line throughout the book of Genesis, it is tracing the royal line here. Perez was the son of Judah by Tamar, 
And, and when Jacob blessed his sons at the end of the book of Genesis, he said of Judah, the scepter, that is the, the symbol of the king, the royal scepter, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And then he says this about this Shiloh, to him shall be the obedience of the people. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Jesus comes. And so this this genealogy reminds us that even in the days of the judges, even in these darkest times when when every man does what is right in his own eyes and, and the world is in absolute moral chaos, God Almighty is still working his great plan for redemption of the whole world. God is still working for Jesus to be born. And, and just as that royal line on a few occasions in Genesis got down to a very narrow thread of one baby surviving to bring about the birth of the coming Messiah. It gets down to the same thing here. It's down to this one narrow thread of the birth of Obed who becomes the great, 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 and great grandfather of Jesus. Now this book is often considered a love story. It is a love story. But it tells of a much greater love than we would first imagine. Because it's not just about the love of Boaz and Ruth. It is about the faithful covenant love of God for his people as he raises up a redeemer in a hopeless situation. The book begins, as I said, with death. Three men die in the first five verses. The book ends with a child is born, a child of hope, a child of promise, a child who will have a son eventually named Jesse, and Jesse will have eight sons, and the youngest will be named David. It's easy to think of Boaz as the hero in this story. He protects Ruth as she works in his fields. He steps in as the kinsman redeemer. He marries her. He fathers her child. He's a good man. But there is a much greater hero in this story. The hero is God himself. Unseen, working quietly behind the scenes, God is there bringing about his great purposes. And so the book begins with bitterness. Naomi is terribly bitter. The book ends with the blessedness. The book begins with a family leaving Bethlehem, leaving the house of bread because there is no bread, the sojourn in a foreign land. The book ends with a celebration and a feast in Bethlehem. And so, when you encounter in your own life trials and suffering, reflect on the hero of the book of Ruth. Reflect that God himself is working quietly, often behind the scenes, unseen, to bring about the redeemer, to bring about new life, to bring about new hope to bring about new peace and new joy. And just as Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. At Christmas, he became our kinsman. He became one of us, fully man. On Good Friday, he became our redeemer. He paid the price to buy us out of sin and death. Are you hopeless like Naomi? you blame God? Jesus can be your redeemer. You trust in him. Put your faith in him. 
Are you outside of the fellowship of God's people? Just as Jesus can bring, just as Boaz can bring Ruth and Naomi into the time of fellowship, bring the Moabite into the house, Jesus brings people from every tongue and tribe and nation into God's house. He takes the church to be his breath. What are some other practical applications for us today? As I already mentioned, Boaz is a man of great integrity, great honesty. Let us be like Boaz. Let us not build walls where God has torn them down. This book foreshadows the inclusion of the Gentiles and God tearing down the wall of hostility. That language comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Tearing down the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. The book reminds us that God is the ultimate redeemer. But you know, God almost always uses people to carry out his redemptive plan. To be Christ-like is to be a kinsman redeemer. Jesus was a kinsman redeemer. If we are to be Christ-like, we too can be a kinsman redeemer. Now, you and I are not going to save anyone by paying for their sins. We can't do that. Jesus did. But we can be God's instruments, God's hands, God's feet to bring people to good news, to bring people hope, to help people along the way, to give people hope in times of bitterness and pain and trials. Is there anyone in your sphere of influence, your co-worker, your neighbor, your friend, for whom you can be like a kinsman redeemer? God has taken bitterness and he has created blessings. God has taken the outsider, the refugee, the foreigner, the stranger from a strange land, the Moabitess, and has included her in the line of the Messiah. And so finally, there's a very practical application. Let's also praise and thank God for all the different ways in which he is our kinsman redeemer. And he gives us meaning and joy and peace and hope and love. The scripture says he redeems our life out of the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. That's great. Our Father, we pause in awe and in thanksgiving to know that Jesus is our kinsman, that God himself became a man and lived among us, and that he was not only able but willing to pay the price to buy us out of slavery to sin and death and to give us a new life, a new hope. We thank you, Lord, that not only have you redeemed us from sin and death, but you have redeemed us from a life that is meaningless, hopeless, and empty. You've given us joy, peace, and love, You've given us a family in Jesus Christ. You've given us reason to live and to praise you. So we give you our thanks and we sing of your joy and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.